Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Stefan. Yes, sir. Hey, it's John Schneider with the Seattle Seahawks, man. How you doing? Good. We're getting ready to select you right here, bud. Man, coach, don't play with me, coach. <laughs> no, I am. I'm the GM for the Hawks. You're going to come come be with the Hawks, okay? Don't play with me, coach. Go ahead, coach, man. Coach, don't Turn play with me, coach. Coach, coach, don't do it to me, coach. Please. Please don't play with me, coach. What's that? You playing? No. We're selecting you right here, buddy. Turn it yeah. in, Matt. Turn it in, Matt. <laughs> we got you, dog. You're coming, you're coming to Seattle. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Oh, let's get to work, coach. Let's get to work, let's buddy. Let's All right. Let's get to work. Hey, everybody's fired up for you. Yeah. Steven Sullivan, LSU tight end, pick 251. Let's go. He has to figure out, Chris, who the coach of the Seahawks is. All right, hang up the phone. Hey, John, hang up the damn phone. We got a show to do here. John, hang up the phone. Can we stop that, please? Hang up the phone, John. Uh, he's not the coach. Stephen Sullivan called him coach like 50 times. It's PFT Live. And Chris, here's the thing. Because that little clip would, would cause one to agree with your misguided assessment that it's an honor to be drafted. I will tell you this. Round seven, pick 251. It is most definitely not an honor to be drafted. By that late in the process, you are far better off becoming an undrafted free agent you can pick your team, pick your city, pick your depth chart. You can figure out where do I have a chance to make it? Where am I going to be, get the best possible coaching and instruction and development? That's where it pays to have a good agent who can spot the right spot for you to go. It's better to not be drafted than to be taken at 251. So, Stephen Sullivan, I know you're excited to get that call. You'd have been better off over the long haul if you hadn't gotten it. Well, I, I you know, I, I... Like I agree with you, okay. I don't think it's as oh, like concrete. Can we? I don't think. Can we freeze well, that and play it every day? That I, we're all well, like, right out of the gates every day. As, I like it. I don't think it's concrete as you try to make it out to be. But I do understand what you're saying. Late in the draft, there, yes, there's some benefits of not being drafted for all the reasons you mentioned. To where now you could pick the team you want, but also, okay, 
there is something to be able to say when, you know, old Stephen Sullivan's a grandpa and he's going to be able to tell his grandkids, hey, I got drafted by the Seattle Seahawks. I didn't like what not pick, get drafted. Grandpa? Number okay. one. Number Doesn't one, matter. No, I was 250 later. He might have to fib on where Joe he Burrow's got so a better story a to tell. Joe, Joe Burrow's got a better story to tell. Also, of just course. to say this, we, we act like it's always like, yeah, it'd be better to be a free agent that, you know, now it's some young kid who hasn't been paying attention to the NFL and the agent are like experts at roster building. Like they always know the exact best spot to go. I'm not going to the good ones do. Give, the good ones do. The good ones oh, do. So, yes, most do. Most do. You're right. The good ones not all. do. But I, I'm not going to no, say it's no. Both there free. are some that are bad. There are some that yeah, are bad. And the thing I is, know. if you're represent, if you're representing the guy that gets picked number two fifty one, chances are you're not one of the good ones. I mean, that's that's kind of the way it works. I'm not, I have no idea who represents Stephen Sullivan, but the point is, the best agents end up having the best players. That's just kind of how the dominoes fall. But I do know that that there are plenty of agents that have a wide range of players from top around one to the bottom around seven, and the good agents do know where and how to place those players and to give them the best chance to get the development they need because that's the problem, Chris. There's no developmental league, right? There's no opportunity to get reps. There's no opportunity to get better. And this year, there's no offseason program where you can show up and start impressing the coach. You're going to have a limited window during training camp to show the real coach, not John Schneider, but Coach Pete Carroll, that you belong on the roster. And you're not going to have a lot of time to do it. You're not going to have a lot of chances to do it. No, that's what's going to be unique about this year. You're right. Some of those raw rookies that they're, hey, we took this guy because he has potential He's a little raw. We need to work with him. I don't know if you're going to be able to depend on these type of guys this year in the 2020 season, let alone it's going to be quite the culture shock for these kids once they go to training camp. You know, oh, you, you get slowly indoctrinated into the NFL when you get drafted. You know, you go to, okay, I got drafted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We went down and had a rookie mini camp, right? So you have a rookie mini camp and, okay, this is a little bit of a step up of a level of play in college from college football. And you get used to the things that, you know, get used to the environment that way. But then 10 days later, all of a sudden, the whole team, the vets come in, the real big time ballers come in. And now you start to have real OTAs and you start to go, whoa, this is a different world. The NFL is business and whoa, there's a lot to learn and so many things that I just was unaware of. And that's where they're going to have to have a crash course in this at the start of training camp. And it's going to be very difficult for some to produce for their team early on, at least. It is sink like a stone or swim if you are taken late in the draft. And if you're undrafted, if you're one of these guys that is from, you know, 70 to 90 on the roster, you got a long way to go and you don't have many opportunities to get the coach's attention, whether it's Coach Schneider or Coach Carroll. All right. Uh, A guy taken roughly a full order of magnitude higher in the draft than Stephen Sullivan, Jordan Love, pick number 26 after the Packers traded up from number 30. That has created a, a little bit of controversy over the course of the last week. You've been paying attention because of what it means or doesn't mean to Aaron Rodgers, the incumbent quarterback in Green Bay. The guy that Rodgers supplanted with the Packers, Brett Favre, was on with Rich Eisen yesterday. Favre spoke about what he thought of the Packers draft and how Aaron Rodgers should react to the decision to move up and get Jordan Love. Here's Favre from yesterday with Rich Eisen. They don't draft any weapons, not just in the first round, but any weapons that can help immediately. 
to my knowledge. And that just sends a disrespect message to, to what I would think to Aaron Rodgers. He has, he has every right to be disappointed if he is. You know, it's not his job to mentor Jordan Love. And, and this discussion went on, you know, when I left Green Bay. It, it's not the head guy's job to mentor the next guy. That guy is ultimately there to take your spot. Now, if if Jordan were to ask Aaron, can I watch extra film with you? I would be shocked if Aaron said no. Uh, you know, I think he would go over and beyond to help, but he's not going to go out of his way, and that's I, I can't blame him. Tom Brady and and myself and Joe Montana and Peyton Manning, would, to just to name a few, have finished their career elsewhere. And in my case, I played with four different teams, um, so I think that that's going you're going to see that trend more and more. And I think Aaron will finish somewhere else. Brett Favre thinking that Aaron Rodgers is going to finish his career somewhere else. And what makes Favre's comments so significant, beyond the fact that it feels like a repeat of what happened 15 years ago, although the Packers had good reason to draft the quarterback because Brett Favre was into his annual, gee, I think I may retire routine. Rodgers has never suggested that. He said he wants to play beyond the age of 40. He said he wants to play his full career with the Packers. The fact that Favre told Rich that he has spoken to Aaron Rodgers. That, to me, makes everything Favre said significantly more important than what it otherwise would be if it was just Favre spitballing from the sideline. He's spoken to Rodgers. No one's spoken to Rodgers. Rodgers hasn't spoken. It's been a week now, Chris. Aaron Rodgers hasn't said jack diddly squat about this, but he's spoken to Favre and Favre went on Rich Eisen's show and spread the gospel according to Aaron. It is very significant, everything Favre said. And all you Packers fans out there who don't want to hear it, go ahead and plug your ears and say you're not listening. I don't care. It is incredibly significant that Favre said what he said yesterday because he spoke to Aaron Rodgers before he said it. No doubt. I I agree with you, Mike. I mean, yes, spoke to Aaron Rodgers and probably, you know, you know, you know, echoed some of the things Rodgers and him talked about on their phone conversation where Rodgers felt disrespected. You know, I think Brett Favre is actually doing Aaron Rodgers a solid here by kind of spreading, you know, the proper outlook through the eyes of a guy like Aaron Rodgers or himself and what they're going through. And, you know, I, I, I think it's, you know, very nice of Brett Favre to do that for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Brett Favre makes so many good points. You know, one, first off, yes, it's not Aaron Rodgers' job to, to, coach, to, to coach Jordan Love. Will he help him out? Certainly. But he's not going to go out of his way, like, after a third down period in practice and be like, hey, Jordan, did you get it? You want me to go over the plays with you? No. He's got to worry about himself and what his performance is and him being the leader of the team for right now. But I think ultimately the, uh, the biggest thing Brett Favre says is, and I think this is obvious now, that Aaron Rodgers will be playing at the end of his career somewhere else. And again, you know, I, I, I heard a lot of talk yesterday, oh, is Green Bay, this a power grab to get power back from Aaron Rodgers? The organization wants it back. And Matt LaFleur is fighting for it back. Well, this ain't going to get it done in the short term. Like I said yesterday, you've just emboldened Aaron Rodgers. I mean, with his salary number and everything like that, He is truly the king in Green Bay, and he's going to do whatever the hell he wants now for the next two years, knowing that 
most likely in that third year, there's a good chance that he's on a new team or at least being talked about being traded or released or something like that. So uh, I think this is the start of the beginning as far as Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers is concerned. I mean, you're right, Chris. There isn't a damn thing they can do about Aaron Rodgers other than wage a PR campaign that makes him look like a bad guy. I mean, if they want to take it up a notch, if he shows up and his attitude is, you know what? You're screwing me here, but you can't do anything about it for the 2020 or 2021 season. And I'm just going to raise hell and do whatever I want. If they start making him look bad in the eyes of Packers fans by not going on the record, but leaking stories about how he's behaving. That's what will get his attention. Because, look, we, one thing we know, Aaron Rodgers is a little bit sensitive, and that's fine. It's refreshing. It's human. It's nice to see that he can be just like the rest of us, petty and, that's right. and worried right. about how we're perceived and excessively concerned about what others say. True but that. Yep. I, I, think that I, I do think that that's the only weapon the Packers have at this point. The possibility that if he is over the top, they will make sure people know about it and that the fans in Green Bay may turn on him. Because if he does exit, he does not, I believe, want to live through being vilified the way that Favre was. Which tells me, if it does end up that way, we're not going to see Aaron Rodgers with the Packers rivals in the NFC North, the Vikings, the Bears, or the Lions. We're not going to see that. He's going to want to get away from Green Bay. He may want to go to the other conference so he doesn't have to deal with going to Lambeau Field and being booed mercilessly. He was the quarterback of the Packers when that happened. That first time Favre went back to Lambeau Field, anytime he touched the ball, even when he handed it off, it was boo. It was mm -hmm. deafening. Right. Aaron Rodgers doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. So, However this plays out, this is not Brett Favre, cookie cutter, same thing. No, this is going to be different. It's going to be different. And the only weapon the Packers have for now is the media. And uh, I, I think that that, uh, that may be the one thing that keeps Aaron Rodgers in check for the next two years, Chris. I, I think that's a real point. I, I do. You know, I, I also think, you know, with Brett Favre, I think he probably enjoyed doing that interview yesterday and kind of sticking it to Green Bay to tell everybody how wrong they were as an organization and how they disrespected Aaron Rodgers. I think, he right. I think he probably got a little joy out of that. I'm sure, you know, again, I'm sure Brett Favre's a hair sensitive when it comes to that subject. Like you said, these guys are human beings. He feels like, damn, I carried that organization for whatever that was, 13, 14 years. And then they just threw me aside. So I, I, I think he's probably a little bitter towards that. And then with the Aaron Rodgers thing, you're right, Mike. I mean, the, the Green Bay, though, you'll have to be careful about playing that angle because you want to ruin your football team in a hurry, as we saw last year. I mean, with the, with the no audible thing and the audible thing and who wins the civil war between, you know, LaFleur and Rodgers, that took fire. I mean, we talked about that so much during last year's offseason into training camp. Imagine if we start a, you know, a, a, a spat between Rodgers and Green Bay that plays out in front of us. Now, I think Rodgers will be conscious of what you're saying, though. I mean, again, this is a highly intelligent person and understands, I think, the big picture of everything you explained. And I think two things. Rodgers, he'll play it smart to where he won't do anything that's going to make him look too bad. We'll probably see some good old passive-aggressive comments from Aaron Rodgers where we're not going to sure, you know, how mean was that? Was that intended? I'm sure we'll see some of that. But the biggest thing is you're going to see a motivated Aaron Rodgers who – 
if he plays really well the next two years and we're still going, whoa, he's one of the five best quarterbacks in football, you know, I just wonder, will he try to force his way out of town and be like, oh, you wanted Jordan Love? I'm done. See you later. I'd like to be traded now. Why he's still one of the better quarterbacks in the game and make it happen somewhere else. The one thing that I think is going to be a huge factor in all of this is public perception. Who's the victim? Who's the jerk? Who's the aggressor? Who is doing the right thing and taking the high road? And that is going to be a complicated proposition because the fans are always going to be looking for someone to blame. One last point on this. And just to underscore the significance of what Brett Favre had to say yesterday to Rich Eisen. It is clear that Favre spoke to Rodgers. And here's the quote from Favre that I keep coming back to. I'm not going to talk about all that we discussed. He was, let's just say, surprised they went in that direction. That's right. Let's just say surprised they went in that direction. And I've got this vision already. We know how they do the media availability of Aaron Rodgers standing in front of the locker. You've got the wood behind him. We see it every week. And the, the microphones are there. And, you know, I could, I could script five, seven, ten different things that he may say this year that's going to get us to say, play that back. Play that back. What's he talking about there? Oh, we just don't have enough healthy receivers. I wish we did. You know, just little things like that. Right, Because he didn't pick a single receiver. Or And, well, I don't make those decisions, obviously. You know, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's, – listen, I know it doesn't make the season any more fun for Packers fans who were on the cusp of getting back to the Super Bowl last year. It makes it more fun for us because it makes the sport more fun to cover because uh, unexpectedly – this this wrinkle, Chris, has been tossed into all things Packers. Yeah, and, you know, Aaron Rodgers, as we know, can hold a chip on his shoulder for the where he was drafted in the first round, just like Tom Brady holds. Yeah, I mean, he, holds, he that's the way he is. He's going to use this as motivation. And, you know, again, this is where I just think Green Bay is really playing with fire here. They really are. I just don't understand Green Bay's approach to the draft. I don't. There's no other way to say it. The fact that, again, you know, the deep run defense was so average last year, below average, one of the 10 worst in football, that doesn't get addressed. And then, you know, the receiver group, the receiving group, listen, I don't want to sit here and tell you it's horrible, but it's certainly not great. It's below average as far as the NFL is concerned at the wide receiver position. And I know they signed Devin Funches. Whoa. I know. Whoa. Devin Funches. I mean, Hey, he's a good player. There is some potential for that to really work out. But I don't think that's going to like necessarily move the needle or any of us are going to go, wow, Green Bay's offense is as explosive as any in football now. They signed Devin Funches. No, I got respect for Funches. I think he will work well with Rodgers because of Rodgers' ability to throw to big receivers out in the edge and the back shoulders and all that. But uh, I'm just perplexed. I don't get it. When you're in the window for the Super Bowl and you have a quarterback that's still a part of the cream of the crop in the sport, I think you surround that guy with assets to make it happen. And especially when you don't have a Super Bowl defense. Like if you had a Super Bowl defense, I would go, oh, okay, that's fine. They're playing through that. They want to play a defensive run game. Okay, that's cool. But their defense is nowhere near that. I mean, like we've said many times, San Francisco's still running. So I don't get it. I'm very frustrated by it. I'm just going to close my eyes and throw a dart here right now, and I'm going to predict that in 2022, Aaron Rodgers will be the quarterback of the Las Vegas Raiders. 
that's my that's my completely uninformed wild speculation 2022 Aaron Rodgers Las Vegas Raiders uh and uh, I wouldn't be shocked I, I mentioned I mentioned that setting that wood behind Aaron Rodgers. How about some Aaron Rodgers greatest hits on the way to break as we get ready to come back with a breakdown of a couple of Jameis Winston drives from late in the season. We'll be back with more right after this. Here's Aaron Rodgers. I think it's ridiculous. Uh, I think people don't understand how difficult it is to to win in this league and, and win consistently. The, you know, the success that we've uh, that we've had here uh, is tough to do. And we have a we've set the standard pretty high. But I wouldn't listen to uh, some of those people out there, I mean, they're not in this locker room. They're not uh, in the media rooms. They're not in the uh, in the practice environments. They don't know what's going on. They don't know the type of work ethic that we have here and that Mike has here, and uh, especially guys like Mike Florio. I mean, don't waste your time reading, uh, reading crap like that. Jameis Winston is now a member of the New Orleans Saints, and the good news is he's already thrown more passes to Saints players than Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill has completed seven as a member of the Saints. Jameis Winston has completed 10 passes to Saints players as a member of the Buccaneers. Obviously, those are interceptions. And Winston now signed to a one-year, $1.1 million base deal with some incentives that really, when I saw the incentives yesterday, it's like, wow, if he actually does these things, he should get a lot more than that. Uh, playoff wins, et cetera, Chris. But, uh, you know, we think this is a great move for Jameis Winston. I think it's a great move for him. I think it should be uh, an interesting time for the Saints if he ultimately plays. And I think if he plays, we may see more of the good than the bad that we saw last year. Let's look back to week 16, that triple header from the Saturday right before Christmas. It was a great gift from the league. It was Texans, Bucks. It was Bills, Patriots. It was 49ers, Rams. It was a fun Saturday. And uh, not fun if you're a Buccaneers fan. Um, here is a drive that began with the Texans leading 17-10 just before the half, 42 seconds after an interception put the ball on the 39. Jameis Winston, all right, first throw. A couple of guys, I think they ran the wrong route. Somebody ran the wrong route. And it doesn't matter because Winston overthrew both of them. No, yeah. I mean, you know, listen, when you're in an aggressive offense like Tampa runs, you know, you're going to throw some incompletions because look what they're doing. But then that's what's the amazing Boom. thing. Look at about, yeah, look at the pocket presence, the calm, the demeanor, and then to throw the ball in a really safe area. Yeah, this is the things that people love about Jameis Winston. I mean, he is capable of doing special things at the position. Slid to the left and saw Ishmael Hyman and got the ball inside the 10. So we're in business here. Not much time left before halftime. But first and goal for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, down 17-10, trying to somehow force a tie at halftime in a game when they had been badly outplayed by the Houston Texans. Texans were trying to nail down the AFC South. So we saw the good Jameis, and now here's the not-so-good Jameis. Um, Holy cow. I think there are four Texans in the screen there, Chris. I mean, at least. And that's where it's just too aggressive, too careless. You know, it's just not worth it right there. Throw it away. I just don't know even what you could see in that scenario to think you're still going to fit the ball in there. But playing with fire. And let's not forget, he already threw a pick six to start this game. So uh, we're already going, oh, no, what is Jameis Winston? What what Jameis Winston is this today? Yeah, and Gary and Conley had the pick in his hands, proving yet again why he plays defense. And here is a throw (laughs) in the direction of the guy who had the pick six, Bradley Roby. This one's to Cameron Brait. And you know what? 
Now, look, it wasn't right in his hands like the play before, so it wasn't as glaring. But look at this, Chris. Bradley Roby could have had this ball. Yeah, well, and I have, you know, again, these are 50-50 back shoulder type balls. You're definitely right. That they wasn't right well through his played. Hands. Get your hands up yeah, faster you, you need catch to throw it. it behind. But the, you know what the good thing is? This year, that'll be Gronk, and it'll be a bigger target. But it just won't be Jameis Winston. It'll <laughs> and, be Thomas and, Brady. And it won't be Sorry. Winston. Good <laughs> yeah. news, it'll be Gronk. Better news, it'll be Brady. That's right. But, but here's the thing, Saints fans, before you wonder if Sean Payton has lost his damn mind, Here's Jameis Winston rolling right, right at the line of scrimmage at the last second, threads the needle. Good like, Jameis. Th th that's where you, I mean, he just seems unfazed by anything. That's what I'm just amazed by. You know, you throw two balls that, like you said, could have been intercepted. And then to have the guts to throw a ball across your body, body and again into a tight window, it shows you that, hey, at the very least, he is not gun-shy. He never has been. And I think there is going to be some aspects of that that Sean Payton's going to love, that he's always looking to make the big throw. He's just got to take a, take a little of that off of him so he doesn't hurt himself and hurt the team. So the game was tied at the half, 17-all. We move now to the fourth quarter with the Texans leading the game 23-20 with two minutes and 21 seconds left. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the ball on their own 10. By the way, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin not playing in this game due to injury. So Winston operating sort of with a hand tied behind his back. Here comes the drive that potentially could win the game. First play. Okay. Hey, hey, good, good Jameis, right? He didn't have anything. Instead of trying to force it, he just threw it down. Really, really good play. Smart. You know, if there's nothing there, hey, the defense, they get paid too. They're, they're going to win some plays and just don't let them egregiously win. Throw it into the check down, throw it in the ground, incomplete, move on. That was good, and this is better. Brashad Perryman, a nice little gain, gets the ball out near the 30. The kind of stuff Winston could do, a quick route, quick drop, quick read, and he fired that ball, Chris. He did. That's it, one of the more difficult throws in the NFL. We would, they call that a, a skinny post. It's basically a seven-step slant route by the receiver, and the quarterback's got to take a five-step drop and throw it. Not a lot of teams do it anymore. It's kind of an old-school thing. Uh, but it, it's not easy to pull off between timing and having a quarterback who could zip it in there all the time. And Winston's very comfortable making this throw. It just shows you, again, some of the, the, the big-time skills that, that Jameis Winston does bring to the game. And maybe should have picked up another 15 yards there because Deshaun Gibson came in and hit Brashad Perriman in the head. No flag thrown. Obviously, that's not something that's subject to replay review. So the Bucks only get the ball to their own 29. The drive continues. And look, we, we, we see the good. We see the bad. You got to take both when it comes to Jameis Winston and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Before that, though, the two-minute warning arrived. Rashad Perryman was in the blue tent, but he was back, cleared quickly, and on the field for this first down play. And we see Jameis Winston ultimately, hey, look, it could have been worse. He could have thrown a, an interception. Instead, he just doesn't have anything, and he decides to eat it and hit the deck. And sometimes that's yeah. a smart play, too. That It is. That, you're right. It's not the worst play. But there's another, I think, example, too, of like, hey, there was nobody open. You had plenty of time in the pocket. But throw the ball away. Let's not lose the three yards and just stay in second and ten. And and the clock keeps ticking, too. That's exactly the right. Kill the clock if you can. All right, look, moving to his left. And, and that's a nice little throw there to Brashad Perriman. Extremely nice throw. I mean, with somebody pursuing him, having to come over the top and throw the ball like that, the degree of difficulty there is it, it's high. 
You know, and again, he made it look pretty easy. He's carrying the team right now after those early interceptions because, like you said, some of his weapons aren't there and they don't have a great run game. It's Jameis Winston making big plays. So now it's third and one, and they're trying to keep this drive alive, down by only three points, and there is Jameis Winston, ladies and gentlemen. Jaleel Adai making the pick. And let me tell you, it was not an impressive route. That's up for a third and one quick out, Chris. That was a slowly developing play. Well, I think there is some some unhappiness from Jameis Winston as far as how he ran the route. It's a horrible route. It's a tailback running an out route. Okay, and I'm just going to let everybody know tailbacks are not great out route runners. He does a horrible job of tacking the leverage of the DB. Look at O.J. Howard. Look at O.J. Howard. Look at O.J. Howard. O.J. Howard was far more open than the tailback running the same route. Yeah, and that's Jameis Winston's got to get off the first read, not just go by the pre-snap and also understand who you're throwing to. You know, more than likely a DB is going to be aggressive against a running back running around because more than likely that running back's not going to be running a deep route. That's usually not what they're asked to do. It's slant routes, it's hitch routes, it's a short out route. And Jaleel Adai saw that. He's smart enough. He's been around the league. He understands that. And Winston went too much off of, oh, he looks like he'll be open pre-snap and tries to fire it in there instead of just reacting and reading the play in real time and then moving on. And... You know, it's rare to have such a clear picture that we can point to as to why a guy is no longer the quarterback of a given team. But that play right there was one of the final nails in the Jameis Winston coffin in Tampa Bay. Bruce Arians has made that clear. And then it was this play that made it absolutely clear that the next time Winston's in Tampa Bay, it will be as a member of the visiting team. The last play of the season – the Falcons game in overtime. And, Chris, we were watching this, and I joked, well, a pick six here would be perfect. It would be fitting. And there's the pick six. You did. And that's you it for Jameis Winston in Tampa Bay. When you saw them win the coin toss, I remember you saying in the viewing room at NBC, he's going to throw a pick six, and it'll be 30 for 30. You know, or it'll be 30, 30 and 30. It'll, it'll be very fitting. And then all of a sudden it happened, and we erupted. So if that was it. That was the the definite nail in the coffin to see you later, Jameis Winston, and we're going to look at other avenues to replace you at the quarterback position. And, you know, the point from Bruce Arians is fairly simple. He's been around a lot of great quarterbacks who elevate in December. They don't regress in December. The Buccaneers entered those last two games with, you know, a path, kind of, sort of, needed some help, but they had every incentive to win those games and to try to get to the postseason, or at least finish strong, finish 9-7. and seven. If you don't make it to the playoffs, you finish 9-7, and seven, you have a winning record in Tampa Bay. That's something, right? You can build yes. on that. And, and I think Arians was just uh, dismayed, to say the least, by the fact that Jameis fell apart instead of stepping up in those last two games. Yeah, well, you know, there's, a, there's an issue with the governor, uh, you know, and Jameis Winston's decision-making at times. He just does not know when to go okay, this is a calculated good risk, and then this is just an absolute stupid risk. And that's why I think the Sean Payton thing is going to be great. I mean, come on, nobody's been better at high percentage completions, Drew Brees, Sean Payton, easy throws to get the quarterback in rhythm. Sean Payton's motto is going to be like, don't risk it. I have lots of biscuits for plays that will just get people wide open. Don't risk anything. 
my offense just produces biscuits. I got a nice warm oven and they just rise and they're fluffy <laughs> and delicious. So he'll be able to teach him that hopefully. <laughs> you, you know, I was, I was already hungry cause I didn't eat before the show today. So, uh, uh, now I'm even more hungry. So thank you very much for that. No problem. If you're hungry for a draft, We've got one coming up. We've talked a lot about how the Green Bay Packers failed to help Aaron Rodgers. We're going to draft now the quarterbacks who got the most help via the 2020 draft. We'll do that when PFT Live continues after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Not that Aaron Rodgers watches this show, but Aaron, if you're watching this morning, you probably should turn the channel now because we are going to spend time talking about what could have been for you and what is for plenty of other quarterbacks who, unlike you, actually got help in the draft. And if you're looking at the TV screen, and of course you are now because we're no longer on radio, although we are on Sirius XM 211, so it still applies to a certain extent. Those are the first-round receivers drafted this year. And the draft for now, Chris, the quarterbacks who got the most help by way of the 2020 draft. You've got the trivia question for me, which means I'll get it wrong. You'll get the first pick. Let's just go ahead and play it out and see if I'm right. At least I'll have something right this morning. Okay, well, let's see how you do. All right, here we go. Which QB has the most career TD passes to first-round picks? And just while you stew on that and think, this says it all. You know how many touchdown passes Aaron Rodgers has to first-round picks? One. One. To Mercedes Lewis, a tight end. That is it. T- I mean. Are we talking about first- all time? All time? All time. All time. Joe Montana. One of- Joe Montana. Ooh, Joe Montana. I was going to give you a clue when you just you had to jump the shark and go, Rice. Mr. Noah. It's Jerry Rice. It's Jerry no. Rice. Peyton Manning oh, threw not. 90 zillion touchdowns to Marvin oh, Harrison got... and Reggie Wayne. They're both first-round and, picks. You lost. And <laughs> and Demarius Thomas. And Demarius Thomas. Exactly right. Yeah. So he threw 293 touchdown passes to first-round picks, which is remarkable, really, when you really think about it that way. Um, was Dallas Karka a first-round pick? Wait, I'm just trying wait. to – 
Yeah. What was the hint going to be? His forehead's as big as mine? I, I don't know. What, I was was gonna, what was the hint? I was going to say it's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, just to let you oh, sit okay. there. Like, well, I was going to name some of the— I still would have said Joe Montana. I know. I probably. Yes. So, you lose. I win. I like it. To me, right. this is an easy— this is an easy one right off the bat. Uh, I, I'm going to go with Drew Locke. I mean, how can I not? I mean, Drew Locke for what the Denver Broncos did in the first two rounds of the draft. I mean, first off, we know there was some talent there on that Denver offense already we were excited about. But when you add Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler, who I look at K.J. Hamler and thought, I mean, he was the number four receiver in the draft for me, Mike. I know I'm not like Johnny draft expert all the time, but I'm pretty damn good. And I've been around a lot of good receivers. I'm still trying to t find someone to tell me the difference between Hollywood Brown, who was a first-round pick, and K.J. Hambler and why he was a second-round pick. Now, I think there were some injury issues there, issues there but I, I just look at those two weapons and go, wow, instant contributors, instant, like, going to put fear into defenses right away along with the weapons they already have. So I'm very excited about what they're doing in Denver right now. Yeah, and they even added another receiver in round seven, I believe, Tyree Cleveland from Florida. So three receivers for the Denver Broncos as and, they try, and, and they already have Cortland Sutton. Well, and, and a tight fans. end, right? Yeah, and, and a they tight added end a tight end in four, round four, right? So yeah. he's a, he was one of the 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 combine freaks. So you look at that and you go, wow, there there's some potential there for that Broncos offense. Uh, I'm going to go with your guy, Josh Allen. In part because the first round pick, the fifth round pick, and the sixth round pick became Stephon Diggs. And then on top of that, Brandon Bean drafted two other receivers, Gabriel Davis and another guy late in the, uh, in the process. But they're doing what they can to beef up the offense. And you throw in Zach Moss, the running back, who had 388 receiving yards last year at Utah, who becomes the complement to Devin Singletary. You are helping your quarterback you know Aaron Rodgers got a running back but he's not really a, a, a pass catching running back he's not going to diversify the passing game he's more about building a San Francisco style running game in Green Bay Josh Allen got three receivers and a running back who had 388 receiving yards last year at Utah and uh, I think the Bills have done a lot to help push that offense toward what it was like back when Jim Kelly was the quarterback yeah well I, you know again I mean hey you know me I'm one of the uh the, the band leaders are one of the, you know, get on the bandwagon for the Buffalo Bills. I, I love Josh Allen. You know that. And I love what Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are doing with that football team. They have a plan every year. They're building something to be sustainable and be competitive in the NFL. So uh, I'm with you. There was some, some good things there in the draft. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I, the more I look at this, I go, man, this list is a little longer than, than I thought it was going to be as far as guys I could possibly draft here. You know, I think here I'm going to go with Jimmy Garoppolo, all right? And I know it's really only two guys, but a little along the same lines you just talked about. I mean, they got a big-time receiver in Brandon Ayuk, who I think everybody was looking at. He's going to get drafted somewhere between 20 and 32. And we heard John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, yeah, I think they were realistically thinking if if he was on the board at 13 and they didn't like anybody else, I don't think they were afraid to take Ayuk at 13. That's how special Shanahan thought he was. But then we have to add in the factor of day two, getting Trent Williams uh, and trading away draft picks. Trent Williams is a Hall of Fame left tackle. I mean, he is big time. That was already one of the best offensive lines in football. And it's just rare you can say, hey, 
our retiring Hall of Fame left tackle Joe Staley just left. What? We're going to be better this year on that position with another Hall of Fame left tackle and Trent Williams? So not necessarily like great depth as far as helping Jimmy Garoppolo out, but if you gave me two guys to maximize their importance to an offense in year one, I would think 49ers and those moves would be right up there with anybody. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And look, they already have an incredibly great running game and uh, they didn't have to use the passing game as much as they needed to or wanted to or could have in the postseason. Uh, they need to take that next level, though. They need to have a passing game that they can rely upon in a big spot like they That's could right. with the Super Bowl on the line. All right, next one for me. And this one is close. I'm going to go Phillip Rivers, though, in Indianapolis because mm. they added they didn't have a first-round pick. They added Michael Pittman, who they're already comparing to Vincent Jackson. And I, I hate those comparisons because it puts too much pressure on a guy. But still, Michael Pittman, the son of your former Buccaneers teammate, Michael Pittman, now uh, one of the top receivers to go along with T.Y. Hilton in Indianapolis. And, and, and I, keep, I think I've picked uh, the, 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 the Wisconsin running back. I've picked him so many times this week, I forget his name. Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Taylor. Taylor. Jonathan right. Taylor. Uh, I, you know, that, that if, you, if you can pump up the running game dramatically, that helps the passing game. And Jonathan Taylor, one of the best running backs in the draft. So between Pittman and Taylor, the Colts have given Phillip Rivers some help he needs to get the weapons around him to get the most out of that one year and probably only one year with the Colts. Yeah, well, they're, they're you know, that's Ballard. You know, we talked about it a little earlier when we were talking about the AFC South. He got two first-round picks in the early second round. I mean, he really did. Michael Pittman Jr., the great thing about him is he'll be ready day one, NFL ready, physical, tough. You know, it's going to be a receiver that Philip Rivers has always liked, those bigger receivers who he can throw the ball up to, and Michael Pittman's physical will do that. And, Mike, you know I love Jonathan Taylor. I thought he was the second-best running back in the draft, and he's a perfect fit for the offense that the Indianapolis Colts run. We got one more round to go. Aaron Rodgers still don't don't watch this because you're not going to like what we have in round three either. Quarterbacks who actually got help in the 2020 draft. Aaron Rodgers. We'll we'll finish that right after this. (laughs) All right, two rounds down. Chris has Drew Locke and Jimmy Garoppolo. I've got Josh Allen and Phillip Rivers. Quarterbacks who got the most help in the 2020 draft. Chris, you're on the clock. Well, I'm going uh, to my old buddy, John Gruden, and the Las Vegas Raiders because Derek Carr got some help. Hey, they needed to do this. I mean, you know, again, we can say what we want about Derek Carr and, you know, wonder how long his future is with the Las Vegas Raiders. And, yeah, I'm not so sure the personality meshes with a guy like John Gruden. But I also can sit here and honestly say they haven't put enough talent around him to really know how good he could possibly be either. And I think that's a very real aspect of this. And, man, with Henry Ruggs III, you know, as the first wide receiver off the board, speed, speed kills, as they say in the NFL, that was a a great draft pick. They need somebody like that. And I think it's a good combination with their physical O-line and run game that they have, which is one of the better ones in football. But then you get a guy like Lynn Bowden, the the quarterback out of Kentucky, who will be a wide receiver. I mean, he's like a Randall Cobb-ish type player. I think he'll be – really effective, work in the middle of the field. And then the other hidden gem they got, Brian Edwards from South Carolina, kind of a bigger receiver, can do it all. I mean, one of those, again, the guys that was a little bit down the line as far as big-time names in the draft process, but big body, can beat you over the top with speed, can catch 50-50 balls. So 
I thought they did a really good job of finding three good picks at the wide receiver position that are going to help their team out pretty, pretty soon. All right, I'm torn here between three different quarterbacks. I'm going to yeah. go with the MVP, not the Super Bowl MVP, the league MVP in Lamar Jackson because of how much he runs. The J.K. Dobbins edition plus Devin DuVernay from yeah. your school in Texas, the 439-40. They had Hollywood Brown and Miles Boykin they drafted last year. They throw DuVernay on top of that. They have Dobbins to go with Mark Ingram. Makes it a heck of a lot easier for Lamar Jackson to keep doing exactly what he's been doing. And you've got this guy now in Dobbins who can really blossom into the guy whenever Ingram is done. And you can extend Ingram's career along the way. I just think that that they are continuously looking for ways to go next level with that offense yeah. in Baltimore. And I think those two guys show us that they are not going to get complacent, Chris. No, I mean, they, they added offensive linemen, too. I mean, we know that's a huge part of their game plan and approach. You know, they got an eye for that position and collecting big people. But, yeah, Mike, that's who I was kind of stuck with in my last pick was Raiders and Derek Carr, Lamar Jackson, and the Ravens. You know, J.K. Dobbins is just he's, – he's, he's Matt Breida as far as straightaway speed, except he has power and durability. And then Devin DuVernay, in a lot of ways, reminded me of Debo Samuel. I mean, you got Hollywood Brown going deep and a, a big running back type wide receiver and DuVernay going over the middle. But that run game, that is a great formula the Ravens have created there. All right, we had some discussion yesterday about whether or not Phil Sims actually has a Chris Sims jersey in his house. We have obtained photographic proof to resolve the matter <laughs> once and for all. We'll do that when we conclude this Thursday PFT Live right after this. Chris Sims suggested yesterday that his dad, Phil Sims, did not have any Chris Sims jerseys in his house. That all started because of this Phil Sims tweet when asked, what's your favorite jersey that you own? Phil says Sims number 11. Well, you asked. So is there a Sims number two anywhere in the Phil Sims household? Chris was skeptical, which means Chris doesn't get invited over very often because <laughs> there it is. Texas number two. I forgot you were on the cover of ESPN, the magazine. No wonder you have such a big head. And if you look closely, you can kind of see Phil taking the photo. You see it much better here, though, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers number two jersey of Chris. And if you look closely enough, you can see that Big Phil decided to take that photo while wearing a robe. Phil, at least the robe was closed, which has inspired me, thanks to our friends at Old Spice, to uh, go with the Phil Sims attire today. I got my robe to wrap the show. I got the Old Spice Henry Ruggs robe in the mail yesterday. It works out perfectly. So it's robe time as we wrap up. And Phil, yes, thank God that that robe was completely cinched or that could have been a viral photo for entirely different reasons. I forgot about those jerseys down in the game room in the basement. I don't know what I was thinking of. We just don't go down there much anymore when I am over mom and dad's house. So I totally forgot. And then, yes, we're, I mean, are you a robe guy? Or do you, on a Saturday no. morning, do you? I yes, am now. Were, I am now. Uh, you are now. now. I got the yeah. old spice robe. We're a robe family uh, for sure. I am the kind of guy. I have my robe on before I even do the show. And then I start to put my clothes on until about 15 minutes before the show. But Hey, the big effort, uh, he didn't like that we were talking crap about him. He'll be on the podcast today. He hasn't been on Chris Sims Unbutton in a while. Today, we're, we're bringing him back and uh, going to get into some football talk with him.
Well, give him my regards. We always have a good time with him, and it'll be interesting and fun to hear what he has to say about the draft and anything else that comes up, including his robe habits. That is it for this Thursday (laughs) edition of PFT Live. Chris will be off Friday. I think Big Cat will be with us. Tune in tomorrow to find out. Have a great day. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.